Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the first week of the fall 2017 anime season. I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Who is feeling a little bit sick today, so uh, don't be too uh, surprised if he doesn't talk much. Uh, I sound ben. like a gravel Yo. truck. Yeah, he sounds a bit like Johnny Cash. Uh, and Aaron and is somewhere sing- around here. I ain't singing Folsom Prison Blues, though. <laughs> uh, as always, you can find show notes for this episode at www.projecttarahi.net or www.audioentropy.com. And uh, let's begin with the remnants of the previous season, <laughs> starting with My Hero Academy, episode 38, uh, where everybody goes shopping and Deku has a very bad time. Yeah, he gets that unannounced visitor. Yep. Yeah, so the the show kind of starts, if I'm remembering correctly, or, or maybe it's in the middle portion, I can't remember, but it starts with uh, Decay, um, Decay's reaction to the two uh, uh, new, like, villains who show up wanting to join him because of uh, Stain, and how ticked off he is that Stain is more pop- popular than him. Yeah, that was in the uh, beginning. Oh, poor baby. And, uh, yeah. yeah, the Decay guy is, uh, Shigaraki. Yeah, and so he, uh... He basically goes and terrorizes Deku in order to, like, um, sort of figure out, like... The meaning of life. Well, basically, he wants to know why, you know, he wants uh, Deku's opinion on, you know, what makes Stain different from him. And Deku's like, well, Stain's a bad guy, but, you know, he at least has a motivation that I can understand, whereas you're just an asshole. (laughs) Well, it's kind of all gets down to one word, two words actually, all Mito. Yeah. Yeah, so of course Stain completely misinterprets everything that Deku is saying because he's obsessed with murdering All Might. So not Stain, De- Decay is uh, gets obsessed with that and yeah. It this episode was fine. It was fine. Um there was less character interac- interaction than I was hoping for. Uh, it was kind of all very much focused on Decay and setting up the next arc. Yeah, uh, season three. But yeah, I don't know. It's not It's not a bad episode, but also it wasn't super captivating either. Well, because like, I don't really find his motivations particularly interesting. Well, on the off note, the, the young lady decided that maybe she likes him and her reaction oh. when she gets back and finds him about to be murdered. Uh, yeah, Uraraka is good. Yep. So, um... But yeah. yeah, this is... Yeah, well, okay, yeah, this is the thing about... Yeah, this episode is mostly a kind of a decompression episode. Uh, you say decompression, I say like disappointing mostly waste of time <laughs> almost filler <laughs> like it i don't want to call it a complete waste because it isn't because there is some decent stuff in there uh but for the most part i found it like kind of kind of shallow to be perfectly honest 
Well, I found it shallow enough that I give it a three in the series overall, uh, four and a half. Uh, I'm probably not going to rate this season. I don't know. I feel weird rating seasons of a long-running Shonen show. All right. Uh, like this. But, yeah, man, I just super don't have a lot to say about this episode. Uh, Again, mostly because I just don't find Decay's motivations to be at all interesting. It's just very generic, like, villain hates the hero sort of thing. Well, and... Uh, all let's see. One for like who's, seat- the guy, who's the guy in the chair with the tube? Is that one for all? Oh, that's that's all for one. All for one, one for all yeah. is All Might's power. Uh, all for one is the main villain's power, and like he reveals like that he's basically setting things up for Decay to take his place as the primary villain of the world. Uh, and he'll also there's be a little immortal. bit of. Maybe I don't. There's a, there's a little bit of implication also that you know maybe Decay hates All Might because maybe he was someone that All Might wasn't able to save. Yeah, I um, saw that. I was going to ask about that. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, yeah. There's. <laughs> yeah, he he actually yeah. There there's a history there which will be revealed next season. Yeah, I'm sure they'll tease it and stuff. I don't know. I just don't care about that guy. Like, at all. He's not interesting. That's why the episode um, got a three. Like, the, the honestly, the other two villains who show up to try and join him had more interesting personalities. I want to know about the dude who's, like, kind of, like, just fed up about everything. I want to know what his deal is. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to give this episode a three as well. Because, at the very least, it had decent scenes with Deku and Ida and Uraraka. I'm going to give this episode... Yeah. I'm going to give this episode a four. Uh, Mineta was in it. That also dropped at a point. That's true. Yeah, Mineta making like his typical Mineta jokes of like, oh, we're going to be at camp. I better get some things that will let me peek in on the girls while they're naked. <sighs> I hope Decay gets to you first, Mineta. All right. All right. So now, shall Let's... we go to move on to Blaha Blaha? Yeah. Let's get this out of the way. Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul episode 24 a episode that back when I said you know what the worst case scenario was I was not imagining that somehow they would outdo you outdo my own worst case scenario oh man man this show crashed and burned hard oh it it was it was not enough for it to just crash and burn it also had to Drill to the center of the earth. It crashed, burned, and then burned and have, its bridges behind it. Yeah, and have the molten wreckage just, you know, disintegrate into the earth's core. It's holy <clears throat> crap. Okay, so let me go sort of like bit by bit here. So, as I predicted, uh, I'll start with like the base level stupidity. So as I predicted, you know, the conflict is solved by, you know, uh, Mr. Fantasy Hitler uh, using his wrist powers to kill Bahamut. So, you know, that's that's the base level of, yes, this is exactly how I predicted it would happen. Uh, and also he lives because, of course. Nina then there's, yeah, then there's another layer there 
where Favaro gives Nina a pep talk. Favaro, if you'll recall, being the guy who initially was totally okay with murdering fantasy Hitler, uh, giving her a pep talk that said, hey, if you love this guy, go save him, because back when I had the chance to save Amira and look for a different way of defeating Bahamut, I didn't take it. And I'm like, Favaro, are you comparing Amira to fantasy Hitler here? Or Nina, either way. I mean, well, he's comparing Nina to himself and Charius with Amira very explicitly. Uh, um, bad drug. He must have got hit on the head one too many times. Which is like, which is like a bad idea, number one. Two very different characters, Charius being a genocidal fascist and uh, who has never really had a day of suffering in his life. Uh, and Amira, who is a, um, like, a lady who was abandoned, who was basically, who didn't get to grow up with her parents because she was an outcast from both he- heaven and hell who was then captured and, you know, uh, used in or used as a sacrifice to, you know, seal Bahamut, who basically had nothing but struggles in her life. It's like, oh, God. It's not quite true. That is not quite true that Cheerios did not have any struggles. Because he started out, before he was king... He was the uh, illegitimate. He was the uh, illegitimate child of the previous king, and oh, so okay, he had. Right. So he had to go. So he, as like, as basically a well, literal royal bastard, he had to go so, through. He had to put up with a lot of crap. So right. Okay. A yes. Bit I'm of sorry. A... He had. He had some struggles before he gave, became the most powerful and rich person in the world. So uh, my I had a little, to Charius. A, a little social status issue. Yeah, let's see. Also, Bahamut did a number on uh, <clears throat> did a number on things ba- for him. Bahamut did a number on a lot of people. Yes. I'm not going to give that to Charius. He can go to hell. Yes, yes um, he can. So, alright, so that's strike number one. Uh, strike number two... Bahamut is defeated by the power of love between Nina and Charius. On a positive note, and the only positive note in this show, uh, Nina, you know, using the device along with Charius does uh, uh, make her mute so she can't talk anymore. So, that's, okay. Yeah, Charius is one. blind. Yeah. Charius is blind and she's mute, so... Well, yes, the thing about that is it's actually even stupider than that. Um, it's because, okay, Nina, Nina's intervention did not, was, did not actually make a difference in killing Bahamut because Charios by himself activating the device would have killed Bahamut anyway. The thing was, Charios by himself activating the device killing, and killing Bahamut, he would have died in the process, which would have been better yeah. for all concerned. So therefore... Yeah. So therefore, Nina's intervention had the effect of basically preventing Cherios from getting killed, which made yeah, everything and, worse for all concerned. And that brings up my next point: is that during during the aftermath, where during the Denoma, 
they have a bit where they're like, oh yeah, and then Chariots resumed his duties of being king and everyone was okay with this. I'm like, really? So he just started being king again. So we and put everything blind was uh, yeah. okay. So, well, so we put blind yeah, so we put blind Hitler back on the throne. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. which just brings up again like the question of okay, so if Chariots is like a perfectly fine king now, then what was his deal with the demons in the first place? It, like it was it, was a, magic, was it was a magic dime store wristband that destroyed itself after he killed Bahamut. That that's what it was, was a wristband thing. It, yeah, it, it affected him. Okay, so the deal with that is, yes, is that yes, after the, all, all was like after all was said and done, Cherios just quietly repealed his policy of demon oppression. And he just without making any apologies, you know, or any self-criticism, he just yeah. he just like, okay, I'm going to stop oppressing demons now. Everybody yeah. loves yeah. me. Everybody loves me. It's now. just there's just no, yeah. There's just like no development on Chariots's part. He just does things randomly, depending on what the show needs him to do. Like when they wanted an antagonist, he was like fantasy Hitler, and then when they want a tragic love interest, then he was just oh, it's, you know. Then he stopped doing that just randomly. And there's just no work into no work went into giving him any sort of motivations. At no point do they ever really bother trying to explain, you know, why he wanted to kill all the demons and then is suddenly okay with not killing all the demons. And it's just why is any of this stuff with Charius happening at all? Why is he making any of the decisions he's making? And like during the sequence with Bahamut, where you know before the cannon is fired, like the the angels and the demons come together to protect the world because of course they would, thus rendering any sort of like secrecy around the super weapon that Charius is trying to keep just completely moot cuz <sighs> look nothing in this sh- nothing that happens in this show with the character development makes any sense at all like in the second yeah. season I've been thinking I like after watching after watching this episode I've been thinking about I've been like thinking hard about where this show went wrong and why it ultimately crashed and burned why it failed as a show and it comes down to one one fundamental thing one fundamental fatal flaw with this entire show which is Mm -hmm. that they did not properly develop the king yeah and in that and and the fact that they did not develop him tainted the entire show and it it basically it, it basically wrecked the wrecked the characterization of all the characters that he interacted with. Uh, and because, okay. you know, like, because, alright, you know, like, there was a way to have, like, a much better show if, like, you know, okay, because if they had, like, at the start of the show, you know, if they had given any hints whatsoever 
that the king, you know, that the king was like, you know, more am- more a more ambiguous figure that he wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just the bad guy that he like, you know, that he had, yeah. you know, like that he had a you know a reason behind like why he was doing what he was doing, and therefore you could understand him. And maybe sympathize with him if, you know. Or at the very least, you could give him a proper redemption arc. Yes, right. As opposed to, as opposed to like, all the demons must die. Oh, wait, I stopped doing that. I'm okay now. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, right, right. Because, like, right. And, and the thing is, it's like, yeah, you could fill in the blanks. Like, that... Okay, he, he like he had this policy of demon oppression because, like, his ultimate plan he wanted to kill Bahamut because he blamed Bahamut for like all the bad stuff that happened to him. Uh, you know, when he was young, and so okay, yeah, and then and so he also, okay, you could say that he he blamed the demons for <laughs> he blamed the demons for being responsible for Bahamut, which. Is kind of a defensible thing because, like, because uh, the thing in the first season, like the the source, like the reason why Bahamut came back, you know, and like raised all the destruction was because of a demon plot. Yeah, or at the very least, like, um, I'm going to oppress the demons and uh, like turn them into slave labor to make my Bahamut killing super weapon because I blame them for Bahamut in the first place is like a consistent character motivation and something you can work with. If you want to do a redemption arc, there is a clear objective there for you to get to with the redemption arc and like a clear through line of how to get there as opposed to what happened, which was he oppressed the demons for seemingly no reason. And then also on the side, there's a super weapon that he was turning that he was using a lot of different people for slave labor for. Like it's like, there's no consistency. Um, oh man, like the, the, the real insult, like specifically to me though, was when like this whole time, I was waiting for like Amira to be to like show up in like a cut like in like a flashback or something, maybe some reference to her. And the one time I was waiting this whole time, especially when they said that Bahamut was gonna be unsealed, it's like oh oh crap, maybe they're gonna bring Amira back to help fight him also through some like plot shenanigans. But what actually happens, like they do bring Amira back briefly but what actually happens is that amira when she's shooting the giant laser with Charius at bahamut she goes into like this weird spirit realm consciousness thing and her consciousness meets amira's who's stuck in bahamut and amira gives her a message to speak to favaro and that's it i'm like that is Amira's sole role in this show is to like give Nina a pat on the back and to relay a message to Favaro saying, I, I still like you. Really? That's, that's what you, oh my God. Right. See, and this is not dead yet either. And this is where, and this is where like 
the lack of development for the king tainted Nina's character because until she was falling in love with the king, Nina was a fun character. Yeah, I actually kind of liked her by the time the first season ended, like which I did not right. think I was going to. So right. So so the thing is is that if the king had been a properly developed character, you know, with some with like a sympathetic side to him, you know, with an understandable, relatable side to him, then Nina falling in love with him would have been believable. And Nina as a character would have been better. Nina Yeah, at the very at the so very least I could have viewed her as just like uh as like hopelessly naive as opposed to, you know, actively terrible. Right. Well, and the, there's right. the OVA and, plot. Right. And that's the thing, is that if 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 Cherios had gotten a proper redemption arc, you know, yeah. then Nina's love for him Nina's love for him could have like actually you know, been a character arc, a character, a proper character arc for her, in that like his yeah. his love for him could have been transformed from like, you know, a naive crush into something more sustainable. But no, you know, yeah. it, it never, yeah, it never moves beyond you know what it is initially seems to be, which is mind-boggling and to make it worse my favorite character from the previous season is basically like good job kid to this ah god it oh man right and that's the thing is that if Cherios had gotten a proper redemption arc then Favreau's encouragement of him would have been fine would have would your encouragement of Nina's relationship with him would have been fine. And also... Kaiser's Kaiser's death would have made a lick of sense. Yes, because if he... If, like... Right, because if, like, Nina... If the if the king... If the king had, like, you know, basically shown his... Shown, his, shown a good side, then Kaiser's, like, you know, sort of uh, tortured loyalty to him would have made sense. It would have been understandable because you know Kaiser's that kind of Kaiser's the kind of guy that he would be he would have been like loyal to a legitimate king, you know. If and, and if the king had had a good side, then Kaiser's loyalty would have been, you know, would have been yeah, would have been would, fine. And it would also have been easier to side with Kaiser than it would be to side with Azazel, who at, at least at the very beginning. You know, his methods were extreme, but you were like, yeah, I totally understand where Azazel is coming from, and right now I feel a lot more, like, Attached. sympathetic toward him than anybody else. Yeah. All right, spe- speaking of Kaiser, a stitch in time oh, saved yeah. his. Yeah, I, I did, the the only other thing I kind of liked about this final episode was seeing uh, uh, the very end where Rita has... Like zombified Kaiser, reanimated. Yeah, well, but then again, like Rita was pretty much the only consistently fantastic character in this season. Uh, so yeah. Okay, man, so I'm gonna give this episode a two, the season of four, and I would have given this episode a three if they'd have played the music at the end when they were dancing. If they'd have played "Dancing in the Dark," I could have given it a three. <laughs> Oh yeah. Also, Bahamut isn't actually dead. No, so, he's not. Yeah, I, he's I give only this sleeping. episode. A, I give this episode a one, and I give this series as a whole 
a one simply because as much as much fun as season one is uh the season two just retroactively makes it all just come falling apart because the things that season two tries to do with the characters particularly Charius, it just is not supported by anything that season one did at all if season two had just like continued the Charius is a villain who needs to be stopped plotline would have been perfectly fine but they tried to do something that they just did not do the setup for in season one and so it all just comes crashing down into a burning wreckage oh the other thing is i think they waited too long to give us favaro i mean that too but that's well that's sort of like a minor problem compared to everything Uh, else the major problem is you're right from about episode 12 on it uh i think no i think okay we're really i think episode episode 18 or maybe maybe episode i don't know the the episode where uh the episode no it wasn't episode it was like basically the last third of the show is where it is where it all fell apart. Is when the yeah. they leaned into they leaned into the romance they leaned into the romance arc they did that they did not lay the groundwork for. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this episode a one and I'm gonna give the series as a whole a two. And I think the thing about this season that that's particularly galling is that I can see like the seeds of what could have been a really great show that just, it just, yeah. it's like, and the fact that they did not, like, the show did not achieve its potential is really frustrating. Yeah, those those are always the most painful failures, Is are the shows where it could be, like, legitimately fantastic, but it just fails on so many levels. It's, it's why I get pissed off at, Sword Art Online so much is because there's a lot of cool stuff that Sword Art Online could explore if the author was interested in anything with more depth than uh, than like nerd wish fulfillment. Uh, it it wow. occupies like Brage Bahamut occupies that same sort of space where like if there were if it were if the team had. Uh, better writers on the staff to create, you know, a better through line for the show. It could be one of my favorite shows in recent memory, but instead it's just a complete train wreck. Yay. Next. So yeah, moving on to fate apocrypha episode 13, which is getting harder and harder to put up with. Like I'm still kind of hanging on thanks to the occasional scene where Mordred shows up and it's the best show ever when that happens. Uh, particularly in this episode where Astolfo's master, who is at this point the most annoying master, uh, she has her evil monologue cut short by uh, Mordred just suddenly chopping her head off. <laughs> don't, a- don't ask how they stealthily arrived in a car. It's fine. Just Just roll with it. Uh, <laughs> I, I just like that they then leave rather than kill like the two people they were fighting a second ago. Yeah, Mordred just doesn't care anymore apparently. Which hey, whatever, Mordred can do she, what she wants. Um, but yeah, like the show is great when Mordred is, is when Mordred is on the screen, 
Um, but whenever she's not there, it's just kind of, eh. Like it, it's really the flaws of the show are really becoming apparent when all you've got to go on is Shiro's whole deal and like as as nice as Jean initially was she's just become ludicrously boring in fact all in fact all the other servants have become just really boring honestly okay Sammy Ramis is cool okay no yeah that's that's true but uh yeah it's i'm probably gonna keep powering through it uh just because i do want to see more mordred and i like more mordred and i like mordred a lot but it's it's just kind of dull right now whenever Uh, she's not on the screen this episode was okay had some good bits but was mostly yeah it was mostly like I guess kind of, uh, kind of like sort of resetting, like uh, sort of resetting the arra- you know, rearranging things. Yeah, yeah, because like now instead of the black versus red teams, you've got whoever's whoever is on Shiro's side versus whoever is against Shiro, and then Mordred, who's just out for herself and her master, really. And also, I guess Astolfo, who is out for Siegfried. I, I don't know. Things are happening. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> there, it was a 25-minute episode that really could have just been 10 minutes and would have been better for it. Uh, so I will give this episode a 2. I'll give it a 3. Yeah. I, All right. I... The only good part about this episode was Mordred showing up, decapitating the girl, and then just kind of walking away for no apparent reason. Like, no, yeah. No, it, it's as if the, the the director was just like, you know what? She's too annoying. She can just go away. How are we going to yeah. have it? Just have Mordred pop in and kill her. I When that scene happened, I clapped my hands. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, that'll it's work. It's like, I love you, Mordred. <laughs> uh... <clears throat> But yeah, I'll I'll give it a. I'm just gonna give it a one, and I'm dropping this. I just don't care anymore, and there's new shit coming up. So. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the reflect. Oh, no, Made in Abyss, episode thirteen. Oh yeah, this one. It had a pretty strong finish. It was very. Yeah. It, this uh. Like it. It was very emotion, very emotionally resonant for me. Uh, Brings tears to one's eyes. Oh yeah, I, I choked up. I choked up towards the end. Cause like, all right, so like the first half of the episode uh, shows Nanachi's backstory, uh, and, well, and Nanachi sh- and Midi. Yeah, right. And shows how, and it shows how uh, Nanachi and Midi got got cursed. Uh, and it turns out it wasn't just like the curse naturally working to it was actually like there was actually a reason behind it and it was it was basically it was actually done by artificial means way in which it was guinea pigs yeah yeah because uh you know Nanachi and Midi were basically orphans that got snatched up by uh Bondrude 
It was uh, one of the like uh, one of the one of the white whistles who was basically trying to uh, he was basically experimenting on the like street kids like to basically better understand the curse and so he's basically taking these uh, taking these uh, taking these orphans and like pairing them up with each other and like dropping them down you know dropping them down to level six and then bringing them back up so they get hit by the curse only they had a gadget so that that partially redirected the curse on onto one of the pair rather than the other so that it would partially protect one of the two people that he sent down and up from the curse so that was why like so that that was why you know Nanachi just got turned into a bunny girl and Midi got turned into this, the monstrosity that she was is because basically Midi got like like a basically got cursed got cursed double and like that so this like that whole process which plays out over the first half of the episode is intense and you know and then and it, and it and so it gives and so it gives proper context to why, like, why Nanachi was asking uh, Reg to kill Midi. Was because, like, Midi... Because it turned out that Midi, her, like, effect of the curse, in addition to turning, into, turning her into this, like, monstrosity, also made her effectively immortal. So that she would be, basically be stuck inside this monstrous body that couldn't do anything but unable to die and 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 so then the second half it basically covers like reg you know basically reg actually going through with it and using his incinerator on midi and that's where i choked up yep uh yeah, because the nice, because like, because the like, like the really impressive thing about that is that, like, Reg doesn't stop. Like, like there's a part where like there's this bit where like now nah, she's like, where Reg's about to, you know, pull the trigger and then and then uh, Nanachi's like, no, don't do it. And then so Reg stops for a moment. And then Nanachi's like, okay, you can do it now. And so then he actually pulls the trigger. And incinerates Mitty. Uh, and yeah, it was heartbreaking. Uh, and then uh, by the end of the episode, uh, at the end of the episode, Rico wakes up, and uh, you know, and they uh, take care of take care of they take care of some business. Uh, with uh, rehabilitating Rico's hand, and uh, and Nanachi joins the party to go down to the next level. After they float the balloon skyward. Oh yeah, yeah, cause yeah, right. Another cool thing at the end of the episode, at the end of the episode is it, like, like it, so like it shows like, so it intercuts between uh you know n- you know. You know, 
Reg, Riku, and Nanachi making their preparations to go down further, and it has the balloon that they release. It tra- it tracks the progress of the balloon that they released up through the levels, and like the progress of that balloon is actually a compelling story in its own right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, because you're seeing like, because you're seeing like the trials and tribulations of this little tiny, this little message balloon as it goes up through, up through the levels of the abyss. And you're like, please get through, get through. I want to see this message get through to, you know, Reg and Riku's friends. So, yeah, this was a, this was a great episode. And it raises my estimation of the series as a whole. Uh, I'm going to give this episode a 5, and I'm actually going to give the series as a whole a 5. I thought, I mean, it had some slack moments in the middle, but uh, overall it was a really strong show. Uh, For the sad effect, I went 4, but I can go 5 on the rest of the series. All right. So, uh, let's move on to Shokaku no Altair, episode 12, uh, which is, uh, largely a, uh, largely a battle episode, uh, filled with tactics, um, it's pretty good, I like how the, uh, the new sultan basically uses the red-haired guy's hubris against him. Uh, yeah, the new sultan is Orhan. And the, yeah, Orhan. The red-haired guy is Balaban. <clears throat> uh, well, actually, it's not the new Sultan. It's actually Mamut's plan. But uh, oh, right, yeah. You know, Mamut. Mamut is the one who comes up with the plan. But the uh, you know, but Orhan, you know, Orhan is on board for this. So, yeah. so it works. So it works nicely. <clears throat> well, it also helps that they had uh, they they had. Uh, the uh, they had uh, Balaban's brother Bayezid, uh, and that was actually a key part. That was actually a key part of why the plan worked, because yeah, having, I, ha- I did like that reveal where you know they turns out he gave them guns, which they were able to use to shoot through uh, the shield like shell he creates at the end. And when he's like, "Why did you pr- betray me?" Uh, his brother's like because you know you you don't deserve to be sultan because you would rather sell out your country for a you know for a victory than like actually try to be a decent ruler <clears throat> and like even though it and even though it hurts me to kill to kill uh, to betray the one person I care about like it's also it's more important to me that my that my homeland survives yeah right and yeah and that critique was on point yeah it was it was good i liked the episode I also don't really have a lot more to say about it, again, because a lot of it was battle tactics that you kind of just have to watch it to appreciate 
the combat scenes um the most of the character work is done at the end with uh the scene between balaban and his brother yep yeah anyway yeah good episode it was good i liked it um you know, even though I don't have a lot to say about it, I enjoyed it a lot, so I'll give it a five. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five. Um, let's move on to The Ancient Magus' Bride, the prologue episodes, uh, one, two, one through three, uh, which uh, basically tell... Oh, by the skip, way, I give Altair a five. We skipped the reflection. Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. That's why I didn't comment. There, I thought we were there. No, I totally forgot. Uh, let's talk about the reflection episode eleven, which was weird. <laughs> so, like, we learn that uh, Eleanor's brother was like inside her the whole time, and like she just had to let go of her identity and existence in order to let you know her brother, who is Wraith, come to the forefront and take control. And then he uses Eleanor's power to teleport every reflected. Uh, uh, it wasn't to the White Sands. It wasn't actually. It wasn't just Eleanor's power. It was also the Allen, the Allen women that he, uh, that Allen women that he, his people collected. Oh right, yeah, them too. Yeah, so they all got. Um, yeah, they they all got like teleported to the White Sands. Uh, which Wraith, the reason Wraith teleported them all was to basically go like, hey, uh, join me in defeating you, join me in like, uh, giving me your power, so I couldn't remember what, I couldn't remember if he wanted to, I initially thought he was gonna be like, hey, let's all just make a utopia outside of humanity so we can just like live in peace now the, sort of doing a magneto sort of thing but no the point of, okay the point of his plan was that okay the reflected that he that he uh, took up were uh, mostly okay because remember that the the reflected were divided into bright star reflected and uh, darkness reflected based upon yeah. whether they were exposed to the light or the smoke of the reflection and so his plan was to uh, provoke a confrontation uh, between yeah. the reflected and the military. So you know, basically to have like reflected, you know, fighting fighting against the soldiers who show up at White Sands. Yeah, and like the soldiers, like they're they're clearly like jerks, but they they aren't intending to fire the first shot amazingly uh but yeah he uh he uses the um the bubblegum dudes like uh illusion powers to uh make them like fire fire a gun at the fire at the chain the mini gun on the helicopter at the reflect at the gathered reflected which convinces a bunch of them to then try to attack the military and we've got our heroes trying to hold them back and keep everybody safe because they know what's actually going on um it's yeah uh on the one hand like it's it's done it's done well enough but also i feel like it is the predictable way of taking the show 
Um, and for the most part, the reflection has wanted to do sort of like different things than other superhero shows have done. Uh, but in this case, it's just very, it's just very by the book. Right. And just honestly, like, it's not bad. It's just very disappointing, really. The next thing. It's like, this is, this is, this is like, this is the culmination. This is all that it was leading to. Well, well, yeah. So the next stage of the plan, the next stage of the plan evidently is to, is to basically use this confrontation to turn all the bright star reflected into darkness reflected. And make them thus easier to control, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess, man. It's just I was hoping for something a little more interesting and unique, but yeah, we need Eleanor. We need Eleanor back. Please bring her. Yeah, please bring her back because she was really the heart of the show. Yeah. Also, I'd like at least some character development for Exxon. Like he, it seemed like that's where the show was going with the latter episodes where we were actually going to learn more about Exxon's past and get some development for him. But then, like, that just never happened. It's weird. Um, they, they had a more interesting path right in front of them, and they just didn't take it. Uh, yeah, uh, so now they've got, like, only, like, one more episode to wrap this whole thing up. Yeah, I'll give this episode a two. I'm going to give it a three. Alright, now let's move on to Ancient Magus's Bride Prologue. Uh, which I really liked the first, the first like 10 minutes of episode one, um, because it did a really good job of setting up the world and making it seem like really unique and magical. Um, but then when the actual plot line for the prologue started in earnest with, uh, Chisei telling, uh, her story about a, um, like wizard she met in his library like it's fine but also i found it very slow and kind of dull and heavy-handed to be perfectly honest um i'm not sure if this plot line is an accurate representation of what magus's bride will be but it doesn't feel like it is judging uh, by how it started uh i'll say this this is a uh, anime original oh okay i see yeah. yeah, it. I I honestly was not impressed. Like it wasn't particularly bad. It was just not. The first ten minutes were far more interesting than anything else that happened in the prologue. Uh, yeah, yeah. The rest of the show is actually more like the rest of the series is more like the first ten minutes because, uh, like, oh, that makes me very glad because because all, all those characters, you know, all those characters we see in the first ten minutes, they get introduced over the course of the series. I really like the werewolf. Yeah. Or whatever he is. I, I'm i assuming he's a werewolf or some sort of were. Well, we'll, we'll just not say anything right now, so. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I really like, I really like the lady with, like, the, like, like with the water fairy familiar or whatever. Uh, she's, she's got a really great relationship with that familiar. Um, I like how the magic feels very whimsical almost mm-hmm. um yeah it's just got a very nice aesthetic and i was immediately charmed by the characters that were introduced in those you know in the first half of episode one 
And then from then on, the story was mostly, here's a bunch of jerks and also this kind of unengaging plot line about how Chisei's life sucked. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. It's it, like, okay. Honestly, I don't like it mainly because like it, it introduced a lot of stuff that you shouldn't know yet, as well as not being all that good and not being a good representation of what the show is actually about. Yeah, I... Uh, the the prologue the prologue isn't good like watch the first 10 minutes watch the first half of the first episode and as soon as it gets to Chisei telling her like story from her childhood just stop because there's nothing worth watching <laughs> honestly like it's again it's not that it's bad it just feels kind of pointless and not interesting enough to well you know, yeah I, think I found it interesting I I liked it but I think it could have been tightened up. I think uh, they really, they like, they didn't have three episodes worth of content. Yeah. I think if it was two episodes, I would be a lot less down on it. Yes. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, like, they tried They tried to basically stretch two episodes worth of content into yeah. three episodes. I, and it, I think part of the problem was that there was just a lot of repetition in there because it was stretched out three episodes. Yes. Uh, but overall, I liked it, um, and I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it a four. Um, I'm gonna give it, whew. Uh, I can give tricky. it a four, too. I'll give it a three, I guess. Okay. Because there's, there's nothing about it that really makes me annoyed or anything like i don't think again i don't think it's bad it was it was, um, it was slow that was the problem i just wish it yeah i just wish it was better paced and a little more substantial um but yeah i mean the, the again the first 10 minutes the first 10 minutes were very very charming so it kind of it kind of does that first part did give me make me a little more forgiving of it i think um what do you think aaron no, uh, I agree with that. I'll give it a three. Like, it's like the OVAs exist in a weird place because I guess they don't want to start the story, but at the same time, they didn't really give a good glimpse into what yeah. the story is about or the general uh, flavor of the the story. So it it was it was weird, and I'm not entirely sure what they were trying to accomplish with the with these OVAs. Yeah, who knows? Uh Let's move on to Black Clover, episode one. Oh, man. So Aaron oh posted a YouTube video that's literally, literally just two minutes of, like, whatever the hell is his name. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, just Asta. literally two minutes of Asta screaming, like, constantly, because apparently Asta cannot speak without yelling it. Uh, and it's just the worst. He's the worst. Yeah. Zero. He's a yeah. He's not like he get okay. I mean, I've read the manga. I update out in the manga. I think he gets better, but this is not yeah, a good. Like episode. if if the protagonist of Black Clover was his like foster brother, um, I would be much more likely to keep giving this show a chance. 
but if considering Asta is very clearly the main character, like I'm not even gonna bother with a second episode. It's just not worth it. I'd rather spend my time catching up with Dragon Ball Super and Hunter Hunter. Yeah, it's, he's just way too obnoxious, really. <laughs> also, also, man, like yet another, yet another show where like there's a bunch of faceless dudes who just say the most blatantly like jerkish things to show how the main character is oppressed, and it's just like. All right, dudes. It's always so awkward because it's like, hey, it's that kid. He's the worst, isn't he? Ha <laughs> yeah, he's the worst. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give this episode a two. Uh, I will, I will give it a two just for his foster brother, like, punking on him in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, Yuno's a cool character. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, he gets to he gets assigned to a different unit, so you don't see much Worst of him. decision. Yeah, it's 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 real bad. It's this is real real bad. I I don't understand why this is so popular. Even for a shonen, I don't understand why this is so popular. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, um, but oh, also the chains apparently got reused from handshakers, so that's good. Oh, they I mean, made it, a it, good it, use of that. To be fair, the chains don't look nearly as bad as they did in handshakers. The thing that got me about those chains, though, was that like when Asta initially gets hit by them, they do like a sort of like silhouette on a red background that makes it look like Asta just got shredded to pieces. And then when it cuts back to, like, the normal look of the show, he's just kind of got some bruises. I'm like, if you're going to try and make it look, you know, real bad, then commit to it, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... It, I mean, they can only go so far with a shonen, Dustin. Right, yes, of course. <sighs> All right, yeah, I'm giving it... Uh, yeah. yeah, two. <laughs> um, no, no. Zero. I'll, I'll agree with Larry. Zero. It's that was awful, and the manga is awful, and Ben is wrong. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about just because. Am I? Am I the only one who watched this? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm almost certain that Aaron didn't bother. Um, Larry, mm -hmm. did you watch it? I told oh, you, right. Black, whatever okay. it was the only Yeah, so thing Just I Because watched. is like a high school slice of life, down to earth drama. It's it's extremely boring. Um, I can imagine a world where this show is like actually very good, uh, but I want I almost fell asleep during it, or at least at the very least, I wanted to fall asleep during it. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it just because it's going to be this season. He got curate, which I gave up it's on just halfway so through. Massively dull. Um, yeah, it's it's not worth watching unless you need like a sleep aid. So <laughs> I'll give it a one. Uh, I 
I mean, on the bright side, there's like nothing objectionable, objectionable about it. I find the character designs pleasant enough. Like everything, everything like about its design is fine. It's just there's absolutely nothing interesting going on. <laughs> uh, high school, high school slice of life. No, I mean even. Thing. I mean, there are some high school slice of slices of life where. I understand why people like it, even if I don't particularly care for it, but I cannot imagine why you'd watch this one, because, like, there's nothing really happening. <laughs> like, the most exciting thing that happens in this episode is a dude makes a home run. <laughs> That's it. It's like a dude is practicing baseball for, like an hour or two and he finally gets a home run at the end. That's it. That's the most exciting thing that happens in this episode. <sighs> yeah. Let's move on to okay. Judy Tyson episode one, which almost has the opposite problem as just because where there's almost too much happening. <laughs> yeah. It's like they, I liked it. It's, it was fun. It, Except for one thing. <laughs> it was thing. a thing, yeah. Yeah, it was a thing. Which is, which is that, like, the problem, the fundamental, like, the only real problem I have with this episode was that, uh, like, that, that, like, uh, the boar character keeps talking yeah. over the action. That was annoying. Yeah. And, like, she's like, yeah, she's like, so it's got like it's got so it's got all these scenes where like where like like characters are explaining things and the boar character is talking over them like in her yeah. internal monologue. Also, I mean, to be fair, we won't have to deal with her anymore. So yeah, I was that that's another thing that I was about to say. Like, we sure did spend a lot of time off on her backstory for someone who gets immediately offed. I, like as soon as half the episode was her backstory, I was just like, "Nah, nah, this character's gonna die." And then when she starts fighting and she's imagining herself like winning and how she's gonna win, I was like, "Yeah, you're definitely yeah." If dead. You, yeah, if the death if the death flags didn't get you by then, like that was the one thing that tipped me off because I'm like, "Oh, okay, she's the, doing the imagining her victory thing now." Yeah, now she's definitely gonna die. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Like it's a show that has potential, um, you know. It's it's interesting enough, uh, and now that the boar lady is out of the way, um, you know, there's one less annoying character there, uh, you know, other than Rabbit, who has a has a neat power, but Rabbit himself is, you know, the very <laughs> very typical like I'm insane. <laughs> His design yeah. is absurd. Uh, his his it. design is the one thing that, that makes me not hate him completely, just because it's so ridiculous. Um, I actually like the board. Oh yeah, design. I mean, I, uh, I, I feel like all, I feel like everybody's design in this show is actually pretty good. It has a very good aesthetic, um, very good animation too. Honestly, well, it's by the same studio that did Helsing Ultimate. <laughs> oh right, yeah, that that's that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're and drifters, uh -huh. so if you were gonna pick someone that fit this, yeah. Man, talk about a typecast studio, huh? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like it's it's got potential, I think. Uh, but also, it's one of those shows where it could either turn out like very good or just garbage, and you're not entirely sure which at the fir- at, at first. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, this this is this is going to be a weird show. Yeah, I'll, I think I'll give it I'll give it some more time, uh, certainly. But yeah, I'm conflicted about it. Uh, I'll give this episode. Uh, I'll give it a three. I'll give it a four. The one thing that surprised me is that, like, everyone has superpowers. Because at first, I wasn't ex- really expecting that. Yeah, that that was an interesting reveal, actually. That, like, oh, turns out these people are not just super awesome killers, but they've they've also got superpowers. Yeah, I was like, okay, the old dude has bombs. The two guys look like they have like flamethrowers or freeze things. Uh, the monkey has like a bunch of gadgets and yeah. stuff like that. And it was just like, no, they actually just have superpowers. And her superpower was that she never runs out of ammo. His is just uh, necromancy. Yeah, that that's a pretty hilarious superpower. Also, is just I never run out of ammo. <laughs> <laughs> so so every action movie hero ever yeah she's essentially just arnold schwarzenegger uh yeah anyway um also poor rooster just has like a pitchfork <laughs> <laughs> like uh you might want to have rethought this my power is agriculture <laughs> <laughs> i can make plants grow real fast we're in like a forty-story building. <laughs> oh, well, that's gonna be a problem. <laughs> well, we'll yeah. see how this plays out. Uh, let's move on to UQ Holder. Which, if you were to tell me that this show was like the most exciting of this week's new series, I'd be like, really? Um. But this actually was a really solid introduction outside of, like, the first three minutes, which... So the first three minutes of UQ Holder are basically, like, a... a Evangeline, like, remembering all the antics that Negi got up to uh, back when the show was about him. And it... uh, Of course, because Negima was very much a... Like, it was basically a reflavored Love Hina, but also there was, like, Shonen Magic. Uh, all the typical Love Hina tropes, uh, you know, apply. There's, you got the harem. Uh, you've got the women suddenly being de- derobed. You've got the tsundere punching okay. him. Okay. Okay, that... Okay, that uh, only happened for, like, two volumes. And then it went on to it went okay, on to so an action adventure. I no okay so I remember reading Negima. I read like at least eight volumes of it. Uh, it went on for longer than two. I guarantee you. <laughs> like yes, it, yes, it did have well, more shonen the later it got on, but it still had all the garbage Lavina tropes too. Okay, <laughs> I I remember. Um. But like, so the the first three uh, three minutes of Yuki Holder was essentially like it's kind of funny because 
UQ holder is clearly like meant to be going for a nostalgia, like, oh, don't you remember like these fun times? And I'm going like, yeah, I do remember those times. I'm glad that this show has absolutely nothing to do with that anymore. <laughs> uh, and again, that's the nice thing about UQ holder is once that the show proper gets started, there is absolutely none of those garbage Negima tropes in there at all. It's just Evangeline being badass and, uh, you know, shonen stuff happening and also people getting sliced in half. Uh, it gets, like, shockingly brutal by the end. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, right, because the, cause the, ba- you know, the bad guy... It turns out to be this bounty hunter who'd been, who'd been hunting yeah. Evangeline and caught up to her, and so like, try he like cut her to pieces and he like chopped off uh, Tota, the main character's arm, you know. And but it turned out that uh, Evangeline, well, <laughs> Evangeline's an immortal vampire, so being cut up like that is not is only going to slow her down. For yeah, a bit. you, you and, think people would learn by this point? Like no, don't don't fight Evangeline. That's that's a very very bad idea. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then Evangeline basically tells her like adopted son like, hey, uh, here's the thing. So I kind of turned you into a vampire. Uh, if you want to access those, well, not really. Like he wasn't fully a vampire. He was like a he was like I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for this. Um, but, like, he, he, uh, he had the vampire perk hidden in his blood, and, and, uh, Evangeline was like, look, if you want to unlock vampire powers, all you gotta do is lick my blood up from the sidewalk, and, uh, you're gonna turn into a monster, but you'll also, and that's probably gonna suck for you, but, you know, you are gonna be able to wreck this dude. And so he's like, well... I'd rather turn into a monster and, like, still live and also be with Evangeline than, and wreck this dude than just die as a human. So let's do this! Uh, and so, as expected, he turns into a immortal vampire and then wrecks that dude real hard uh, by punching him so hard he flies across the street and then just, like, body slams into a bus. And it's great! <laughs> Like the sound that the sound that the show the fully work when his body hits the bus is very good. Um Yeah, I I like this episode. I kind of like that the relationship that Evangeline has with her students is like a low key assassination classroom. Yeah, right. It's like if you wanna go on to the Capitol, you gotta get Yeah, past you gotta me beat me in a fight. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, like, I was actually kind of, um, I had heard good things about UQ Holder, but, you know, considering I, considering my complicated relationship with Love Hina and Negima, I was kind of fearing that it wasn't gonna be as good as advertised, um, so I was very glad to see that it turns out um, the show is actually pretty solid, like, and is actually a lot of fun, uh, and has, n- and has I none mean, of the things I, that made me so conflicted about <clears throat> Negima. Uh, yeah, it, uh, 
Yeah, I've been singing its praises even before I came yeah. onto the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm very much looking forward to more UQ Holder, uh, and it's definitely the it's definitely the best show that aired this week of the new fall season. Um, I mean, to be fair, that was what like three shows. I mean, there were five well like four well five if you count the ancient magazine's bride prologues but but not really i guess so yeah out of out of the four new shows yuki holder is really the only one i'm definitely sticking with uh judy tyson is a very like maybe we'll see yeah and black clover and just because are solid nose you you should just get Luke to watch the first episode of Black Clover and, and see what he says. <laughs> no, I have other because like, it's because it's not it's not like horrible horrible, like uh, well not horrible as in offensive horrible, but it's still just horrible. I have other things planned for Luke. Yeah, th- yeah, that's fair. There there's a bunch of shows that that are real good. Yeah, for him. <laughs> so yeah, I'll give this episode a five. Honestly, I like outside of those first three minutes, which whatever that was barely anything, um, and just served to show how much better UQ Holder is than it's uh, than the show. It's than the series. It's a sequel to. Like yeah, I had no issues with it outside of the that very brief segment at the beginning. Oh, okay, whoa, 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 hold up. This is Future Dustin here, and I'm going to have to throw some shade on my past self. Yuku Holder's first episode was fun and all, but it was still a fairly simplistic shonen show, even if I disregard the very bad opening few minutes. I think my hate for Rage of Bahamut maybe threw off my rating sense for a bit, and made me way more forgiving of decently fun fantasy action shows that didn't try to make me sympathetic for genocidal fascists. Uh, so, sorry, past self, but Yuki Holder is a four at best. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to take a rare instance and retcon my previous review score. I'm going to give it a four. I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> I thought it was... I, I, thought, I thought it was a solid show. I think, uh, I don't know, the setup, like, I don't know, some of the, like, the setup stuff, like, before, like, the plot kicks in was tedious for... was, was kind of tedious, but, uh... Once the plot kicked in, it was great. Alright. Uh, so that'll be it uh, for the reviews. So let's move on to uh, listener comments. Uh, so let's see here. The only one, the only most recent one, uh, well, not the only most recent one for, uh, that's from Dayrift. There is also one from Fathomless Blue, but it's just Fathomless Blue posting a Neo Yokio meme because he's disappointed in me for dropping Maiden Abyss from back in the day. Uh, which, by the way, I have started gathering a crew for Neo Yokio, which I will be doing bonus episodes of Bakkacast for. Uh, oh, so man. I am getting the getting that together. Oh, this ought to be good. <laughs> so anyway, so Dayrif has some comments on uh, the shows he's been watching uh, this season. Um, with the My Hero Academy season finale, we finally see the anime reveal one of the series' big, a series's big hidden cards. Facepalm Guy isn't just the leader of the villains, but he's also explicitly the next generation, being molded by All for One into the next great villain, just as All Might is trying to make Deku into the next great hero. The show is clever about the parallel, too, making sure that the villain's journey always seems as pathetic and grubby as it would be. 
Midoriya takes inspiration from All Might while Face Palm blames All Might and is driven by petty jealousy. Yes, I know Face Palm has a name, Ben. I don't respect the character enough to bother looking it up and using it. He doesn't deserve to be anything other than Face Palm. <laughs> Dare if you and I are kindred spirits in that regard. Uh, but yeah, no, I. If there is something that's nice about uh, Face Palm's. Uh, arc it's that it's very clearly meant to be a uh like a mirror of deku's um in that where deku's is very much like positive uh face palms is just pathetic <laughs> um centaur's worries was as weird a show as the manga it was based on See, it's nominally about cute animal girls, and the cute animal girls take a lot of screen time, but the manga author also seems to use the series to write about anything he feels like writing about at the moment. Sometimes this can be about real-world but small-scale issues, like if a single parent is justified in continuing to pursue his artistic dreams, even if this means he's not giving his daughters the attention they deserve and need, or having characters discuss the nature of art, or having state people pilot a robotic god to interrupt a mermaid religious ceremony for their own inscrutable ends. Or a native South American man who has become a great success in the Western world trying to protect the people of his home village and frustrated they won't listen to him. Or a Holocaust flashback, as I mentioned in the previous post. It's a weird show. I see. <laughs> okay. Huh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all over the place. Man. Uh, Kakegurui had... Uh, a lot of great twisted face and was more of a western than anything else uh, a mysterious stranger blows into town and starts destroying the local power structure for her own inscrutable ends if there's one non-obvious thing to it it's that it also drinks of the defeat means friendship shown in well where many of the gambling opponents that Yumeko takes down early on become better people for the experience and turn into her allies so she's like <laughs> crazy eyes sexy Goku <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It is serialized in a shonen magazine, huh. and yeah, it's it's uh, serialized in uh, Gangan Joker, which uh, was also the same magazine that serialized uh, Akamen <laughs> Got Kill. Yeah, yeah. So shonen is uh, it's kind of relative in this case. Yeah, or for that magazine rather. Uh, nice and Magic had a lot of issues in that things are too easy for the main character and that character development is reserved for secondary and supporting characters, but it did deliver on its premise of fun mech battles. And if Ernesti, the main character, doesn't grow and change a lot, he is at least distinct in personality and behavior from any other male leads, eschewing awkward harem shenanigans in favor of good-natured and slightly disturbing obsession with his beloved giant robots. I'm happy I watched the series all the way through. So Ernesti is like a more socially adjusted Cessna FCA. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Cessna wants to be um, a Gundam. Ernesti wants to be with a Gundam. I see. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a difference. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good thing. He, 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 at the end there, the flying machines try to take over, and he says, no, no, no. He says, we can't have air power. He says, it must be robots, so go from there. Then he builds flying <laughs> robots. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. for... But the air sh the airships turned him <laughs> off completely. Airships air yeah. are only good well, for delivering thing. mecha. 
Okay. I wouldn't say that things are too easy. You know, because the thing is, you know, the main character, he really does have to work for his victories. I mean, although it's never in doubt that he's going to win. Right. But he does have to, he actually has to put in some effort. Uh, For Made in Abyss, I thought the finale was emotionally moving as we got to see Nanachi's terrible story in full. I'm going to disagree with some of the comments Dustin makes in BakaCast342 about Rico being shown as incompetent or making obvious mistakes. Uh, one of the things I like about Maiden Abyss is that Rico is generally pretty on the ball and sensible. Her problem is that the Abyss is so incredibly dangerous that even small mistakes or a moment's inattention can lead to disaster. More, these mistakes usually happen when Rico has reason to think she has a handle on the situation and knows what's up, which is when most people make mistakes. Uh, I can see this read in the scenario and can understand why there would be disagreement with me. Uh, I guess sort of I'm a little harsher on the show is that like um, Rico's mistakes often lead to her being taken out of the action for quite a while as what most recently happened. Um, So it just makes her almost non-existence as an actual character all the more of a problem to me. Uh, for a lot of the later half of the show, she felt much more like a plot device than an actual human being. Eh, I disagree with you. Like, at least to me, the impression I got that Reg is that Reg was slowly becoming the actual main character and was the one who got to do things, whereas Rico was like the one who made mistakes and got taken out of the show because of it whenever that happened. And that just, that just well, got very frustrating now, to me. Well, actually, the thing about that is that uh, the, I think the real point, the real point of that is that is that Rico, you know, even, you know, even though she's enth- you know, like, she's like you know, hyper-enthusiastic and you know, she gets into a lot of trouble, she actually has some presence of mind. Like, like even when, like, she, like in episode 10, when her arm is poisoned, and she's, like, you know, <laughs> bleeding from bleeding from every orifice, she's still giving Reg advice on how to treat her. And, you know, and, you know, she's actually, you know, still thinking, she's still thinking things through. And the point, you know, of like what Reg, all the stuff that Reg was going through, is that he actually, is that Reg, you know, actually doesn't have that presence of mind. And that he actually needs, he actually needs Rico. Yeah. In a big way. And that Reg and Rico work much better together than they do separately. For me, the instances where that happened... Uh, seemed to be outweighed by the number of times that Rico was either knocked out of a fight or hiding behind Reg or basically just sort of being the one in distress as Reg was the one who had to take care of business all the time. Uh, And that just got frustrating to deal with for me. Well, there was the episode when Reg was knocked out and Rico had to carry him. Yeah, even while she was like, even she had yeah, to actually carry was, him up a hill while she was hallucinating yeah. all the. Hallucinating and that was an episode where, like, a lot of the 
like problems occur because Rico keeps making bad decisions. <laughs> like it's yeah, I think this is just something we're just not gonna see eye to eye on. I just do not think the the I just do not think Rico is handled well at all by the show. Um, but yeah, moving okay. on. So you uh, shoot over Owari Monogatari pretty well. So I'll just mention I went and read some novel spoilers for the later Monogatari books set when Kiyomi Araragi is a, a 90, 24, sorry, 25 years old and working as a policeman. I hope they animate that one someday. Seems like it could be weird yet fun to see where these characters ended up. Uh, yeah, I really would like to see that. Um, in fact, I'd, like, I'd really like it if Shaft kept animating at the uh, Mono, like all the Monogatari books because I like the series. And even if they don't directly, even though the... Even if the main plot line is wrapped up right now, I still want to see those characters more. So, yeah, I, I hope they adapt all the books that are out. Yeah, yeah like that bit uh, when, like, Saruga Devil, which actually takes place after the main, after yeah. the main plot line, that was actually one of the best arcs. Yeah, that was really solid. <laughs> like, um, uh, before yeah. you go any further, I would like to comment on the new game. I watched both oh, whoops, seasons I of the new game and Fatimus Blue. Whoopsie and, Daisy, yeah, yeah, you sure did. And fa Fatimus Blue, you are yeah. So correct. Uh, you mean Day Riff? Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll read it. Or Day Riff. I'll Who read over his comment. My apologies, I didn't actually mean to skip that. Uh, so, New Game may have been the most improved sequel of the season, where the first season was a slightly bland comedy series about cute moe women working at a game company. The second season actually struggled with real workplace issues in the creative field. Like how, as an artist, the people you most admire can also be your competitors, and that can feel really weird. Or how difficult it can be to make a transition to a leadership role over your co-workers. Or struggling with the feeling that you don't deserve the opportunities you've gotten in a very real realization that you were hired because people liked you more than because you had the best skills. I mean, don't get me wrong, the show is still a comedy series about cute moe women at work, but at least the season, this season occasionally had things it wanted to talk about. That makes me think that New yeah. Game Season 2 basically became the video game version of Shirobako. <laughs> Mm. <clears throat> well, all the uh, seasoned veterans kind of got on the side, and the low-time people were put in charge of a new game, and it got pretty interesting because there was a lot of, well, wait a minute, how smart are you? How old are you? Because the lead character is only like a year and a half out of high school, and she's working at a gaming company. She's that good. So everybody's, and she comes dressed in her school uniform because it's the nicest <laughs> thing she got. So, yeah, she sh she shows up, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, how old are you? And, you know, they're all going out drinking. She's like, I can't drink yet. Oh, yeah, right. Here, have some iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the cast is, uh, the cast is pretty good. There's a, there's a, uh resoundingly well-balanced cast. Oh, I probably won't ever end up watching New Game, but I'm glad to hear that the second season was such an improvement on the formula. I'm waiting for the third. 
because there's enough mm. there's enough for a third season. All right, so uh, continuing on, my feeling is that princess is that the princess principal finale stumbled because it felt constrained to do both a dramatic everything blows up conclusion, but also to reset everything at the end to preserve the status quo so they could do a second season. Everything has changed, but not really. I also felt like it chickened out with the princess's character being against the coup even before she knew it was doomed to fail. If you say, I intend to become queen, but you're not willing to eliminate the people between you and the throne, you never really meant it. Yeah, I do... I I forgot to mention it during my thoughts on that episode, but that's a very good point that, you know, also bugged me in that... uh, uh, the princess is very much about trying to gain power for herself so she can fix the problems with the kingdom, but also at the same time is not willing to like support the people who are trying to oust the people in power who are oppressing them. Uh, and the show never really well, treats that as cowardly. It doesn't really make any commentary about it at all other than showing oh isn't the princess a good person it's like well (laughs) uh i think my opinion on that was is the age of the queen i think the princess was waiting for the natural course of events to take the queen off the throne so she wouldn't have to start killing people to get i mean maybe but also at the same time like if you are a ruler who wants to help your people and you're just waiting for the old ruler to die off, then how can the people trust that you have their best interests at heart if you were not willing to, uh, you know, raise a finger to help them when they need it? I know. But natural causes back then were also little vials of poison. Yeah, but also, like, we have seen absolutely zero uh, evidence that princess is actually willing to do anything like that um which you know i, I think dayriff is what no it's just yeah, those around dayriff is right does make her whole like i intend to become queen and help the people feel a little well yeah. it's a lofty ambition and you know it just depends i mean hey. <laughs> <laughs> if if if, yeah, if, if also, i were if also... i were to uh be a little uh uh It'd be a little um, humorous about it. I'd say that that makes her the perfect centrist, uh, wanting to appear progressive but not actually willing to disrupt the social order in, in order to achieve progressive means. <laughs> well, also, also, I'm almost out of voice. Hey, the, what I was saying is, if the current queen was to take a turn, senility or something, and start doing bad things, then that would also alter what the princess was thinking. Go ahead, Ben. Also, England is a constitutional monarchy, right? Wouldn't the prime minister have something to say about it? Do we we know that in this universe? Like, we don't really know much about the political structure. (laughs) Looks like the general... Which is kind of weird now that I think about it for a series that's so, like, where political machinations and spying is so important. We don't really know much about the political structure of the world of Princess Principle outside of, like, you know current establishment bad princess good <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it, it, there, there could have been a like an episode on 
on a little bit of world building on how this all ended up, why the wall, who's, what sides were on the wall, and please don't tell me it's the Scottish <laughs> and the Irish that put the wall up. Okay, okay. I'm done with that. Sorry, Scamp. I said I wouldn't say it, but I did it. Uh, moving on. Uh, Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul. Sigh. I think you're just going to have to entitle the episode where you review the finale, Learning to Love Fantasy Hitler. <laughs> works for me uh or i could just call it the producers <laughs> well what you need to do well you could do that learning to love fantasy hitler and then have i'll just, a picture I'll just of call it springtime for fantasy hitler <laughs> yeah and but have yeah. a picture of him dancing at the end uh soccer request stuck its landing nicely for those still watching i thought it made a nice distinction between save the town and save the things from about the town that are worth saving Ben, Larry, did either of you continue watching I'm, that show to the end? I'm I'm a few, I'm still a few episodes behind. I haven't watched the. I'm like I, uh, I gave up on four. I so, but I'm gonna catch up on it. All right, very soon. And finally, uh, Simple Gear AXZ. Man, that show keeps having just the weirdest titles. Oh, the new, the new one is ABCDEFQ2. Uh, had its main villain a fedora-wearing pretty boy who spent the whole season manipulating the women in his organization to make sacrifices so that he could benefit. So it was pretty satisfying seeing him get punched thoroughly, not only by the series MC, but also by one of the women he thought he was manipulating. Guys, is Simfolk here actually good, maybe? <laughs> Sometimes. Still a few. I'm still a few episodes behind. Haven't caught up on it. I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm mid. Because man, like I, gear. I keep like people keep saying things that make Simple Gear sound actually good, but then whenever I try to watch it, I'm like, there are there like half of this is good, and the rest of it is just very bad. <laughs> if you've got to roll with the singing, if you can't stand or handle the singing, you're not gonna like Simple Gear. I mean, it's not even necessarily that, but I remember the show, the GX episode that Luke and I watched, like, the first part of it like was, like, really solid, um, and then, like, the action scenes were, like, pretty good, and then the rest of it was just, like, kind of boring dialogue, and so, like, we, I wanted to like it, but, man... I'm so conflicted about that show. Right. I, I really want to like it, but it, it, there's just so much that's also just kind of boring about it. Anyway, just for your own thing, keep reading to the bottom, and I've made a comment, and I'm oh upset. yeah, so yeah, so apparently, like we we've been having problems with discus, uh, where like the. Our, our blog, basically, our comment system on Project Haruhi, just so you know, is kind of screwy right now. Where if you make a comment and the little like blue box at the top left shows zero comments, we can still see the comment. It, it's fine. It's just that it's not counting properly for some reason occasionally, because according to Larry, an update prevented Discus from transferring posts to WordPress. So the count widget is WordPress driven. So who knows what's going on? If you if you make a comment nope. on the blog it, it, and it's well, not showing it... and the counter isn't going up, it's don't worry about it. It's fine. We can. Yeah, and the other thing is, the pl the plugin is not approved for this. WordPress has gone faster than the plugins have, and so 
it's like there's a beta version of the plugin app, but you know how I feel about using beta software. <laughs> also, I just want to briefly mention that uh, I I remember when because um, I always come to these come to these episodes late. I don't think I've ever watched an anime episode when it aired, uh, so I see everybody else tweeting about it before I get around to it. But uh, I remember seeing Scamp and Fathomless Blue reacting to uh, the finale of. Uh, Baja Soul like simultaneously and uh, seeing them hate on it um, uh, filled by Dark Soul with light uh, <laughs> it was very cathartic to know that Scamp <clears throat> and Fabulous Blue uh, also very very much had mean things to say about I'll that tell you what, there though even a... I could not truly imagine the horror of the final episode just from reading their tweets about it <laughs> yeah when when i thought i was like oh man dusty is gonna hate this one so, bad. so much <laughs> uh but yeah anyway not not only not only did bahama soul train wreck the train fell down the cliff exploded into flames and then everything trickled into the ocean yeah, and polluted it. Fish are dying now. Yeah, yeah. The whole planet, the whole planet ecosystem All just right, went down so, the toilet. There, that, that, that's <laughs> got that covered. That'll be it for this episode of BagaCast. Um, as always, you can send comments or questions uh, either to our blog at www.projectharhi.net or audioentropy.com, uh, or you can send us an email at bagacast at uh, .net. Uh, and without further ado, Larry, wait, Ben, Quack. three, Dustin. two, one, Kitabosh. Kitabosh. Well, I tell you what, the things I do for this podcast, y'all have a fun time, and I hope that I'm feeling better by the next time we record. If not, you're just going to get another version of Johnny Cash. Good night. <laughs>